Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. I am back with our guest today, uh, Bob Brooks. Bob Brooks is a transition advisor uh, based in Ohio. Bob has a ton of experience. Uh, he was on our show uh, prior talking about evaluating a practice uh, when you're looking at buying one. Now he's back uh, and we're, we're thankful that he's back uh, for part B to talk about valuing your practice when you're ready to sell. Uh, hello, Bob. Thanks for coming back. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're, we're um, excited to jump into this, Bob. Let's just go right for it. Let's talk about uh, valuing a practice uh, when you're ready to sell. Um, what that looks like, uh, start from the, the top and, and take it from there. Okay. Well, uh, I guess the first thing is you need to think about uh, who you want to work with to help establish a value. Okay. So, um, you know, a natural uh, uh, choice might be a CPA, but uh, I will tell you that CPAs, just like attorneys, their goal is to control risk for their clients. And uh, they look at things like balance sheets. Uh, I've got a, a practice listing over near Pittsburgh right now, and I keep getting these balance sheets from the CPA. And, uh, you know, the biggest value of a practice is the goodwill. It's usually like 70 or 80% of the value of a practice. You know how much goodwill is on a balance sheet, on a sure. net worth statement? Zero. Okay. Explain what you mean to that by goodwill. Explain that to me. Okay. Well, this is an intangible, um, just like, uh, no matter who the dentist is in a practice, uh, the patients are going to go to that practice because they're used to going to that practice. And of course they're all fla- kinds of flavors of that, all kinds of degrees. Hopefully you have good patient retention. And a lot of the patients will go to the, the buying d- dentist. Um, to see the buying dentist uh, once the practice is sold. Uh, and, and some of them won't, you know, if there was a dentist that had poor communication skills or made a lot of changes in the practice or let the staff go or, you know, some of these unfortunate things. So that, but that goodwill is an intangible. It's not a hard asset like the dental chairs. It's not like the hand pieces. It's, uh, it's not real estate. It's, it's, it doesn't have any uh, tangible value. It's all intangible. Got it. Well, so just to continue, I would say that uh, uh, traditionally practice brokers, um, some of them try to get listings by telling a seller that they will put a higher number on a practice. And that's really kind of a unethical way to get business because they know a practice won't sell for that. So, uh, you know, it's important to work with a, a practice broker who can put a realistic number on the practice. And. I don't lose any sleep over those type of situations. If I lose listings because somebody comes in with a ridiculous number just to get a listing, then, you know, they'll, they'll eventually be calling me someday. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that the sellers need to be aware of that. Uh, the other thing is if you build a really strong foundation for the value of a practice, you should be able to sell practices for the list price. Uh, we found that most of the, uh, practices that we list sell for list price. And it's not because we undervalue them. I mean, we, in fact, I compared 
and there are some other brokerages that that probably do as well or better. Uh, but I know for our particular situation, which is the only thing I can speak to, our average sale prices are 125.3% of the average of dental practice sale prices uh, nationally in the, the na- nation's largest online business listing for practices that sell between $400,000 and, and $2 million. So it doesn't mean that you have to give up money to get a good valuation. It just means that you're going to build confidence in the buyer's mind if you come in with really strong information. And so all the questions that a buyer could ask, it's good to have all those answered up front because if a seller doesn't answer all those questions up front, it may appear to a buyer like, well, if you're trying to hide this and I had to ask about it, what else are you trying to hide from me? So it's important to go through. And if you see aberrations like, well, why did the dental supply spike this year? And why did they spike in 2018? Or uh, why did your professional fees go way up last year? Or uh, why is your lab bill so high? Or, you know, all these questions, if you answer them, if anything is out of line, if you just simply answer it up front, it will help build confidence in the buyer's minds. Sure. I have to imagine too, and you know, I think that this can even relate to the price of a practice. I have to imagine it can help alleviate some stress down the ri- down the road too, right? So if you address an issue right now, it doesn't pop up two days before you think you're closing and, and ready to jump on your your uh, yacht to cruise around the world, right? right. Uh, I have to assume that you can mitigate a lot of that stress risk. Um, and I know for myself personally, this is something that I'm focusing on as I'm getting older is eliminating stress from my life. So uh, I would also think too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that if, if you're trying to sell a practice for more than it's truly worth, some stress has to come involved there too, right? Longer listing times, maybe more more, more issues uh, with a bank uh, not wanting to fund it, uh, maybe more red flags coming in for a seller later down the road. Are all those things true? All those things are true and even more. For example, the risk is much higher that your staff or your patients will find out that you're trying to sell your practice the longer that it's on the market, and it will be on the longer market if it's overpriced to begin with. Sure. Some sellers think that you know they've been watching uh, <clears throat> the prices right on TV, or they've been watching these uh, you know uh, home improvement shows where somebody makes offers on houses or something, and they think, well, I'm going to come in 10% too high, so it gives me room to negotiate. Well, everybody has to pick their own strategy. That's not generally the strategy that we go with. In fact, if I can't agree on a listing price with a seller, I won't take the listing. Uh, There's no reason to overprice a practice. You should be able to get full price if you do a good job of supporting uh, that price. And I thought I might get into the three ways to establish value on a practice if I could, Patrick. Absolutely. Yeah, we want that. Please do. Okay. Yeah, the first way is the income method. So, uh, you know, one traditional way is, is people say, well, what did a practice sell for? And what they mean is what percent of collections did it sell for? Well, people look at that number, but it's not a good way to value a practice. That, that is an income method. Another method is to take the seller's discretionary earnings, which is basically the net income of the practice after you normalize the financial statement. And the broker will do that where they uh, add all the expenses that should be in there that maybe Maybe the dentist owns a building and they don't pay themselves rent. Well, the practice buyer, even if they buy the building, they're going to have a real estate expense, right? Sure. Uh, on the debt repayment. 
And so some expenses actually get added in and there are other expenses that come out. Things like, you know, $6,000 to a particular charity, uh, phones for all the kids, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of expenses that are extraordinary expenses that aren't really practice expenses that were, were taken out with the IRS, but they're not really expenses for the buyer. Once all that happens, if you take that number, seller's discretionary earnings, and use the multiples of 1.5 to say 2, 2.25, depending on a number of different factors, that gives you a range of where the practice value would be or what we call most probable selling price. And then uh, the best method, and this method works 80% of the time, and I know I mentioned CTC Associates previously. And we certainly appreciate all the help they've been to the International Business Brokers Association, uh, a method they use and many other brokers use around the country. And that is uh, you, uh, you look at, uh, you, you assign a value to the collections of the dentist. So let's just say the seller is an imaginary associate in the practice. You take collections from their work, multiply it times traditional compensation for an associate. Let's just use 30% of collections. You subtract that from the seller's discretionary earnings and you end up with a number which is kind of like adjusted EBITDA. You've heard of EBITDA before. So adjusted EBITDA or excess earnings. So you take that number and then you divide that by a capitalization rate. And that capitalization rate is determined by a number of different factors that a broker can help with. And that's how you can establish uh, most probable selling price with the income method. The second method is the asset method, which is... Uh, is just uh, what's the value of hard assets in the practice, and that's not practical. And then the third way to, to value a practice is with market data. So there are a lot of services that are available that have data from practices that have sold. Um, and I even use a general business uh, multiplier from um, uh, the uh, Market Pulse reports, Pepperdine University. And they have a business school there that generates market multiples for thousands of businesses that sell in the United States. You know, dental practices are way more successful than general businesses. What is it like nine out of 10 restaurants fail? Right. So you would think that dental would have a higher multiple than general business. But even if you just use the general business multiple of seller's discretionary earnings for uh, uh, for dental practices, uh, that actually establishes a very strong foundation for the value um, or most probable selling practices of, of practices. So, you know, we use these three different systems. Uh, income, we do use in several uh, flavors of that. Asset, we is not used. And then market data, we pull from a couple of different sources. So that's a really good way to build a good foundation for establishing uh, most probable selling price. Follow-up question for you, right? This is this is um, not necessarily related to um, valuing a practice. Um, more so, when to start looking for someone to work with when you know that you're going to sell your practice. And and let me just um, say that I've actually seen practices where they're like, you know, all of a sudden today it's uh, we're recording this in September. And they say, uh, you know, hey, I want to sell my practice the first of the year. Is that too late to start working with the transition uh, expert or should it be something you back into a couple years before you think you may want to sell? When's the right time to start working with a broker? Well, I became a certified exit planning advisor because I thought working a, a few years ahead of time was a good idea. Sure. But, but most practice sellers don't want to do that. 
Yeah. Why, why is that? Why do you think that is? If you had to speculate well, or maybe, you I'll know, tell you, I work with some great people. Um, I can think of, uh, somebody like Denise Logan out of Scottsdale. She's called the seller, seller whisperer. And you know, there's a lot of psychology involved with selling a practice because a lot of times the dentists have their own identity wrapped up in their job. You know, all, a lot of their relationships are with patients and with staff. They don't know what they're going to do with their time once they yeah. retire. It could be in most practice sales that sale price is not the most limiting factor. It could be all these other factors that are somewhat intangible. Yep. So I think that uh, the uh, the pride and the uh, a, lo- a lot of the factors that help a dentist be a good business owner actually work against them as they try to to sell their practice or think about selling their practice because there's mortality. Everybody ends practicing dentistry someday and so they just want to put that off and they don't want to address it yep makes sense to me uh bob thank you so much for coming on uh we've got a a minute or two left do you have anything else that you'd like to to share with our audience well i would say that you know it'd be it's very hard to get uh practice deals done in less than 45 days you ask about the timing patrick sure Uh, 90 days is more common you know, by the time all the uh, most probable selling price is established, you have all the practice data, the marketing occurs, you have dentists to get into practice, you have letter of intent, then you have closing 90 days is, is probably, you know, fairly, fairly quick in a lot of cases. So sure. advanced planning can help somebody maximize uh, their sale price. And a lot of times I have dentists say, well, I want to move fast. I just want to move slow, the sellers. If you want to move slow, plan ahead. If you want to move fast, wait till you have a triggering event. You'll have a heart attack or something else unexpected will happen. Then you'll have to move fast. So you want to move slow, plan ahead and start now. Makes sense. Bob, that's great advice. Thank you for coming on our show. Um, Folks, please uh, feel free to check out um, Bob's website. Uh, You can find it at practiceendeavors.com. Excellent resource uh, to the dental industry and community. We thank you, Bob. Thanks for coming on. Happy to do it, Patrick. Take care. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.